you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll, and EJ Wilson to talk about Carolina's win in the home opener against Georgia State. Before we get started, though, thanks for being here. If you haven't already, be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content that Team at IC puts out. Helps us out a ton, hardly takes any time, but thank you for being here. As promised, it's Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. Guys, Carolina wins big 59-17 to against Georgia State due to a second half that saw them outscore the Panthers 35-7 to after the break. Starting with EJ this time, I feel like I always start with Mike. EJ, a lot to talk about. What were your biggest yeah. takeaways from the game? Oh, my God. I mean, if I thought last week that we weren't the number team in the country, I really don't think we were the number 24 team in the country after watching that. And and, I'm, I, and I was thinking about it as I was watching the game yesterday. It's like, how do I accurately describe what I like really my takeaways were without being too negative or, I guess, critical of Georgia State? I mean, of course, that program is not where we are. They're playing in the Sun Belt Conference. I mean, let's, let's be perfectly honest here. It's not a very competitive conference. They're not known as a Power 5 team. As a matter of fact, uh, I I think this is the first time in a few years that Georgia State's actually played a power five team last time was when they upset Tennessee. But from what I saw in the first half, it didn't look like we were a team already that was ready to compete for ACC championship. We actually look like a team that had taken a step back from last week. I feel like, and I'm, I'm kind of tired of seeing the, we, we come out and we just like, basically sleepwalk through the first half and turn it up a little bit in the second half because that's not going to work against the top-tier teams in the ACC. If we say we want to compete and we want to be one of those teams that are being looked at as a potential playoff team and with all this alliance talk, Carolina right now is one of the the strengths of of the whole bunch being one of the quote-unquote power teams in the ACC Coastal, which really has its most parity as, as any, I think, division in college football. But I just don't think we went out and showed what we needed to show. Um, We did not we did not – you would have thought we were playing a Clemson or one of the t- more top-tier schools. I mean, there was more of the same. We, we looked confused out there. There wasn't tackling. I really think that we were getting handled up front. I mean, and that kind of shows from the amount of rushing yards that we gave up. I mean, we still gave up 180 rushing yards to a team I don't feel like that should have gotten 50 or 60. So, I mean, it's absolutely disheartening to see. And, and, and like we were talking about before we got on, I mean, I really have never felt this type of way after beating the team by, by, by 42 points, I've never felt like, Oh my God, did we really just lose this game? So, I mean, my takeaway is that I don't think we're ready. I don't think that we are the team that, that we said we were. And um, hopefully someone will let us off the hook. (laughs) Mike, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from watching this game? I'm kind of with EJ on this. I don't know how you score 59 points and look terrible on offense, you know, and I, and I, and I, Terrible might be too strong of a word. I'll get pushed back from that. I don't really care. Um, 
you know, Sam Howell right now is our entire offense. And, and he should be. I mean, he's, he's one of the best players in this upcoming draft class. He's a proven winner. He's a proven uh, production machine from the quarterback spot. But it's, it is disheartening to see as much pressure on him. You know, whereas I, I saw against Virginia Tech, there were situations where Sam was holding the ball a little longer. And, I mean, everyone who listened to the pod last week heard my spiel on why, you know, don't, don't jump down the offensive line's throat right now. It wasn't all them against Virginia Tech. There were pressures and there were, there were, there were people getting through in pass protection and getting in Sam's face and disrupting plays yesterday that had absolutely no business being in the backfield. None whatsoever. And it was, and I kept looking to see like if they were just out scheming us or what was happening, but it was the same exact mistake over and over and over again. It's very simple. It's also very simple to fix, which we did late in the game. Uh, oddly enough, it took us three and a half quarters to figure out how to do it properly. But every single, but I saw offensive linemen, particularly on the inside or inside three, getting their heads buried in pass protection, meaning they're literally pressing their face mask against the shoulder pad of the guy they're blocking forcing their hips up and just trying to run him past the pocket or run him down the line of scrimmage and dudes are spinning out of that. I mean, which is the primary, it's the, it's the go-to secondary move. When you get in that situation, EJ will tell you like a defense alignment feels, mm-hmm. feels alignment leaning on him. You just spin opposite the pressure, you know, the physical pressure. So they were just mm-hmm. spinning out of it, getting in Sam's face. Uh, I saw them splitting double teams because we were either too flat in our pass sets in in our slide protections or the guard would leave and Brian Anderson would be a step behind and they would just, everything was too early. One person was always too early and one person was always too late and defensive linemen were getting through. Um, I mean, it was like a sieve and against a Georgia state that is completely unacceptable because Virginia is going to hurt Sam. The reality is Virginia is going to come in and if they have that kind of pressure on Sam, they're going to take the opportunity and they're going to hurt him. Those are division one. Those are power five players. That is a good team. That is a Bronco Mendenhall coach team. That's going to be a tough team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Virginia. And then every other team we play after that, I mean, they're going to take shots on Sam when they can. And if we're, if we're trying to, if, if, if we don't have, if we want to have any shot of a season on offense, we apparently need Sam Howell. It's indisputable. Like it, it's an unassailable comment that without Sam Howell, we're not going to be able to produce on offense. Josh Downs looks like a ball player. He's come out of his shell. Um, he's a, he's a legitimate option. Antoine green had some nice catches. Um, I saw some, I saw some good adjustment, Taylor. You can talk about that. I saw some good adjustment on some deep balls from him. Um, you know, there, there were some, there were some, some things to be happy about, but we're going to go as the offensive line goes. And right now our offensive line doesn't look, doesn't look so hot. Yeah. I think I was, I mentioned last week on the podcast, I was shocked by the Virginia tech game. I thought Carolina would look a lot better. But if I had saw this game before the Virginia Tech game, I don't think I would have been as shocked because this team just doesn't look like, like you guys have mentioned, the team that we were kind of expecting going into the season. And I think it's a case like you go into a game against a team like Georgia State, no offense to them, you have kind of like this picture in your head what the game's going to look like. And Carolina, you know, they rush for 86 yards with the running backs outside of uh, Sam Howell looking like uh, the next coming of Mike Vick out there. But the running backs, there was almost no running lanes to rush for them. So I guess my biggest takeaway is like it's really hard to evaluate what Carolina has right now in the running back room with Ty Chandler when 
you you can't create this balanced offense with the rushing attack. And going going to that wide receiver point real quick, I thought this was a if I'm looking for a positive, this was a get right game for the wide receivers. I think Anton Green looked really good creating separation. He did a great job stacking receivers and getting back on top, winning winning these deep balls. Emory Simmons looked good at receiver. He he is uh, another guy who posted a career high in <clears throat> in receiving yards. So you had a career high from Anton Green. You had a career high in Emory Simmons. Mike, like you mentioned, Josh Downs just continues to look like that number one option for this Carolina team. Choffrey Brown had a drop late, but I, I even think Choffrey Brown's drop late was a little more excusable just because he did win at the line. And that's that's a catch you're expecting him to make more often than not for, for a pretty easy touchdown. So I think you're hoping that the receivers there can continue this momentum when you do have an uptick in talent. They That looked like a group that was going up against a, a group of five team like Georgia State Uh compared to like the offensive line. So you're hoping that when Virginia comes, the corners get a little bit more talented, that the receivers can kind of carry this over. But Mike, you kind of mentioned it. There's, there's just a lot of questions remaining for this team after a game like Georgia state, the, the biggest comes along the offensive line in the run game. I think most people expected Carolina to impose that will the rush, the running backs really struggled to get anything going. They were getting hit in the backfield. You kind of mentioned already what you saw up front, noting that Josh Azudu, Carolina's best and most versatile lineman, missed this game. How big of a loss do you think it was to have him? And then kind of where where is this group's potential after two games? Well, <clears throat> so Brian Anderson was a game behind in terms of season development because he didn't play against Virginia Tech. He was suited, but he didn't play. Um, but with Brian Anderson's wealth of experience i was extremely disappointed in some of the production i saw at him he was making young player mistakes that he shouldn't be making number one he was leaning on blocks both in the pass game and the run game and when you start leaning on blocks bad things happen if you're playing against a defensive line that has any competency whatsoever um, and georgia state's defensive line had enough competence to where they could they knew exactly what to do in that situation um not having a Zudu out there was apparently a bigger loss than I thought it was going to be because we looked very out of sorts on the offensive line. Um, Q Johnson over there playing left guard didn't look like the player from a development standpoint that I thought he'd be at this juncture in his career, um, particularly having the full start against Virginia Tech last week and doing some good things against Tech. He did some bad things, but he did some good things too. And that didn't carry over to the left guard spot. In fairness, tackle, guard, and center, regardless of what people might want to think, are three completely different positions. They require three completely different types of technique. They require three completely different type of, uh, of, of, of eye discipline. They require, I mean, every, it's, they're totally different positions. Uh, if you want to equate it to something, think, think uh, slot receiver and middle linebacker. I mean, they're, they're just different. Um, that being said, our inside three have to be versatile enough to be able to handle position change and to be effective in there. And our inside three continue to be, no matter what combination we seem to roll out there, they continue to be a problem. They continue to, as a group, individually, they make their own mistakes, but they also do good things, each of them. 
but for whatever reason, as an as a unit, as an inside three unit, there the production just isn't there. Um, and I'm watching some of these things, and I'm wondering, I mean, what what are they being taught? Like, is it is it a is it a coaching deficiency? Are they not taking the coaching? Were they drinking their own Kool Aid? Do they feel overwhelmed? I mean, I'm not sure what's going. I'm not in the room, so I don't know what's going on. And I'm not out on the practice field. So I don't know what's going on in terms of what they're being taught, what they're absorbing and what their mindset is. But what I can tell you is when you roll that thing out on Saturday, the production on that field doesn't look like an offensive line that has the, the level of experience that we have and has the talent that it has across the board. I, Q is in that group. This kid earned a scholarship as a walk-on. We don't just give scholarships to trash players. This kid can play. He's got the size. He's got the brain and he has the ability because I've seen him do it for a couple of years now. Um, so he knows what he's doing. So that group, everyone that's rolling out there, that's in that rotation can play. But for whatever reason, there is a massive disconnect. Um, though they all have the individual ability, there's a massive disconnect when they have to play as a unit. Um, and most of the problems continue to be on the inside with the inside three. Uh, leaning on blocks, leaning in pass protection, not getting your head out, not having your eyes up and not seeing things and a complete and total inability to handle twists. I, I, I don't know what this is. Um, I think I've now figured it out. And it, again, we'll go back to the point I've been making now at least a dozen times. They've got their head buried in pass protection and they can't see what's happening. It also forces them to get parallel to the line of scrimmage and their hips come up and you can't come off the block. So when, if you do see a guy looping around, you can't come off that, that block you're engaged in that you're buried in to actually get hands on that, on that twisting defensive lineman who's coming through your gap. You just can't do it. And that's frankly how twists are designed. They're designed to beat bad technique like that. And it's been working masterfully for two games now against Carolina. It worked masterfully all season last season against Carolina. Someone's got to fix it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they're going to do it, but someone's got to fix it because you're going to get Sam hurt. Now it's not a joke anymore. Like, it's not like, oh, we need to be better. And, oh, we're in somebody's face. Sam's going to get hurt if they don't get this corrected. Like, it's, it's not funny anymore. And it's really frustrating for uh, being an offensive lineman, being an offensive lineman for the school, right? But, also, but just generally understanding the position and being passionate about the proper way to play that position. We've got a problem. And they got to figure something out and they got to figure it out fast because they've got conference play coming up and, and it's going to hit them right in the mouth and they're not going to be ready for it. Yeah, you're putting a lot of bad stuff on film through two games this year and last year you're gonna keep seeing it yeah you're gonna keep seeing it until you fix it you're gonna keep seeing it and it's like a broken record i mean i talk about for for now going on two years i've been talking about twists burying your head in pass protection not seeing not seeing blitzers not seeing run-throughs not understanding your assignments being too high in the run game all these things we're still seeing and you'll see a lot of that week one week two of any season you'll see that even with experienced offensive lines you'll see pad level that's too high you'll see the eye discipline may not be as crisp and clean as it should be but it isn't as deficient it shouldn't ever be as deficient as i'm seeing right now with the offensive line with the experience and the talent that we have it is it i don't i don't feel like i'm watching an offensive line with multiple years of starts and multiple hundreds of snaps of, of game experience under the belt of every guy we're rolling out there i just i don't feel like that's what i'm looking at yeah, the twists aren't going anywhere. And then I think this offensive line, you'd, you'd like to see them with all five projected starters before, 
you know, you're, you're really like passing judgment, but there, there's no telling when, when some guys can come back and if you're going to ever have that health, that fully healthy line. And it's been something where it's like the coaching staff has been hyping up this depth and the depth is almost, it's, it's just not there right now where, where if a guy like Josh, as you do leaves your offensive line and the offensive line is, is just tanked, but EJ, Let's let's go to a positive for a second. You know, <laughs> Miles Murphy, in my mind, he he was the player of the game for the defense. Mm-hmm. He had a sack, two tackles for a loss. I thought he showed up as a guy who is a lot to handle in the trenches as a former defensive lineman, as somebody who has won a lot in the trenches. What did you think of Murphy's performance? I thought he was absolutely he had, had an absolutely great game from beginning to the end. I mean, from making sacks to just, just being disruptive to playing a very physical game um, to even, I mean, making some chase down plays, the guys was all over the field. He, he literally exhibited everything that you want to see from a defensive lineman, especially someone playing in the position where he is, where Ray's really kind of our over the ball guy. And he's more of our three technique slash five technique guy. And I was really impressed with what I saw, especially being a sophomore, um, somebody who, who who's he has game experience, but not a lot to really come back and bounce back from not a bad performance, but not a, he didn't perform as expected the first game. And yeah, we were playing against some lesser competition, what it looked like. But I mean, everyone else, no one else was really having the success he was, except for Mr. Consistent in the middle, Ray Vahasic. I mean, everyone else seemed to be getting washed down a lot. And it seems like they were the two of the only ones who really saw that, hey, we need to lock these offensive linemen out and don't let them wash us down. Let's stop some of this movement to kind of shut down its option. But I mean, he really played an amazing game. I mean, everything was there from the lockout from on the run plays to his pass rush and yeah, I mean, overall, I think we got a lot. We got lucky on a lot of plays, but I do think his effort and enthusiasm was a real reason why we played so well. And I mean, now you're starting to see some of the things that we were hearing in the offseason about this potential depth. But that's one thing that I'm still not seeing. And it seems like a common theme on both sides of the ball is the predicted depth that we thought we were going to have on the offensive lines not there. The depth of the body. We have the bodies on the defensive line, but do we have legitimate depth? Do we have four to five guys that we can turn our backs on and say, hey, I know this guy's going to go out and perform. And right now, Javari Ritzy. Rava Hasek, Miles Murphy are our three most consistent guys. Tamari's coming in and he's giving us some very, very good pass rush reps, which, I mean, I think he's a true three technique and a four, three defense. So maybe he doesn't fit in his defense as well as uh, the staff thought he would, but he's still a great player that we have to have. I do think we need more um, pr- production out of our outside guys. I mean, we've talked about Dez Evans being a, high, a high-rated recruit and how athletic he is and how he can really turn things around for us. I mean, you saw him make some effort plays and some splash plays last night, but I'm just not seeing the dominating play that we're that, that I thought we were going to see after out of him. I mean, Taman Fox is is bringing senior leadership and being consistent, but outside of really Miles and really Miles and Ray and more so Miles coming along now. I don't really see where we have that depth and it's really starting to worry me because we're going to be putting the same predicament we have been in the same last couple of years. We're going to have the same two guys playing 40 to 50 snaps a game. Then we're going to get to game six or seven and guys are going to start being burnt out. Guys are going to start getting injuries just because of attrition. And that's not what I want to see. So it it is, it is heartening to see Javari Ritzy play well last week and then to see Miles Murphy play this week. So what, who, I mean, is Bingley Jones going to have a good game next week? Is Christian Burner going to have a good game next week? When are we all going to get these guys playing together on the same page? But I mean, I, I do like what I saw and I'm very encouraged. And I actually saw last, 
last night, it proved to me why he earned that starting position over some of the other talent that we have in the room. And I mean, the guy's a, he, he's a big body. He's what, 6'4", 6'5", 300 pounds, and the guy can move around. And I mean, the, the, the single digit kind of puts me in the mind of a, one, one of me and Mike's former teammates who played on the defensive line. <laughs> <laughs> who kind of had the same the same attitude and approach to the game is like okay I'm gonna go out here and do what I need to do and just be bring the attitude and the energy for this team. I mean, you started to see him in a little bit more of those chippy situations that you saw the Hasek in last week, and that's the attitude you need. I mean, you want to be pulling your defensive tackles just like on the offensive line. Your the guards and the the center are the guys that are most likely going to be mauling the guy after the play because they're the attitude. That's the heart of the offensive line, just like the defensive tackles are the heart of the defensive line. So to see these guys come along. I think they're going to really pull along and maybe be able to, I hate that we're saying this again, but overcompensate for some of our other deficiencies on defense. I mean, and Jaquarius Conley also had a really good game again last night. I mean, it's starting to look like that we have three, we have three really good players at every level we have, we have, and then we have some okay guys. We have Vohasic and then you have the guy, you have the guys that are coming along on the defensive line. Jeremiah Gimmel, I think, is one of the best linebackers that has come to Carolina. He may not get the accolades and the numbers, but his leadership and consistency since he's been on campus is great. And Jaquarius Conley is honestly emerging to be our best player in the secondary when we all thought it was Tony Grimes. So I think that the more players we see have these good games start to come along, I think we'll put that together. But we shouldn't be saying this. We're the number 10 slash 24 slash wherever the hell we're going to be ranked after probably going down after a win. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that it doesn't look like we've gotten any better. We may have actually regressed from last season. So we, we just need to get it together. Try yeah. to be as positive as I could. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried. I think a lot of a lot of ranked teams lost uh, on Saturday. So I think Carolina's place in the top 25 should should remain solid. At awesome. Least until awesome. The- it's, awesome. a more, it's a moral way. It's a that's, exa- that's, that's exactly what I want to hear. We're, we're going to stay ranked because other teams suck. That's exactly that's exactly how I want to be ranked. Exactly. Ranking by default. Mm-hmm. EJ, it was, it was an up-and-down night for the defense. I think they had their moments, especially mm-hmm. after a, a couple chains of change of possessions. The, the fumble um, where Sam Howell and Ty Chandler kind of bumped into each other. The defense did hold up. They did force that field goal another positive for them you mentioned Mm -hmm. somebody like Jaquarius Conley who left the game early and then came back with like a club on his hand uh he he's just a missile out there blowing up plays Mm -hmm. uh I thought Cedric Gray flashed at times that linebacker who kind of stood out to you defensively besides the the Jaquarius Conleys and and the Miles Murphys that we've kind of already talked about I think Trey Morrison had a pretty good game. I mean, and I saw he flashed a lot last week. He wasn't as consistent as I think he was this week. But I think having his leadership and experience back, and I, I think he's something that we, we don't talk about a lot. I do think that we have two we have two good safeties. I think that they definitely have different personalities. It kind of reminds me of when I was in Seattle, we had Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, even though, and I think Jaquarius is probably more of the Earl Thomas. He's more of the rover around the guy. He's a missile. He's coming downhill 100 miles an hour. And Trey Morrison, is more of the cerebral player that's going to make some of those smart and heady plays and just be a consistent guy out there for you and come through when you need to. So I'm, I'm really happy with uh, what we're seeing from him. Um, and, and it's like now we're not really sitting here harping on the secondary, giving up some of these big plays like they did. Did Georgia State have some receivers running free last night? Yeah, they did, which was, was completely disheartening. But I think all in all, I think we had a pretty decent game from our secondary. But 
I, 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 the, I, being that the optimist in me has been removed since the game last week, it still was against Georgia State. We have a Bronco yeah. Mendenhall coach team that we're playing next week and then an ACC schedule. So hopefully Virginia, these guys. That, Virginia, look, Virginia looked good too, boys. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. yeah, they did. That first half defense, Carolina's in trouble in that game if Georgia State has a quarterback that could throw the ball. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, big time. And a lot of the, and even a lot of the drives where we stopped them, it was because penalties, it was because of big plays. There are a lot of different the score could have been much different. I mean, this score honestly could have been 59 to 28 or or something a little bit cl- closer <laughs> than that. But I do think that I mean, I do think that we gave up a lot of points that aren't really showing up on the scoreboard. So there are some worrisome things in there, but I mean, hopefully we can get it together and I mean play to the level of our competition and bring some of our second half defense into the first half and play a complete game. Mike, with the, with the offensive line struggles through two games, it seems like the only way for Carolina to open it up on the ground is to get Sam Howell more involved in the running game. Yeah. Do you think that's something that is sustainable for Carolina? And if you are Carolina, how comfortable do you feel asking Sam Howell to, to get more involved in the run game knowing how important he is to the, the overall team success. I mean, as, as a coach, you're going to, you're going to play a dance between the what's best for the team and what's best for Sam. What's best for the team is two levels. Number one, you need production on the ground. You got to win games right now. That's also good for you. If you're a coach. Okay. Kyle, I was explaining this to a high school parent the other day. Um, the difference between college and pro ball is that in college, all those coaches, most of their pay is incentive-based. They're trying to win games right now. The best player is going to play because they have to win games or they're going to get fired in a year or two. Pro ball has a lot of that too, but there's also, there's also other political things that happen at the pro level, including like how much money does the team have invested in a guy? Okay, sometimes that guy will play even if someone lower on the depth chart is better than he is because it's just a money thing. It's a business. But in college, they ain't, everyone's got the same amount of money invested in you, right? Rams Club, that scholarship is the same value for every guy, okay? So they got to run the bound. They, they, they're, running a, they're running a cost-benefit analysis of we need to run Sam and get him involved because he clearly is a viable option in the running game. Kid's got some wheels. He's tough. He'll take hits, okay? And – it gives an extra blocker when he takes off with the ball, he's got an extra blocker in front of him than we would normally have in a, in a design run play. Okay. Got nine blockers or you got nine blockers in a design run versus 10 when you got Sam running the ball. So it's just a numbers game. It's better. Okay. And it's a chance for us to really open up the, open up the offense, slow down a defense. Cause now they got to respect Sam as a runner and they got to respect our quote running game, which is our quarterback. Okay. But we've seen other teams have success with this in the past. Um, you also have to weigh what's best for Sam. Is Sam going to get hurt? Because that cuts against what's best for Sam and what's best for the team too. Because if Sam's not out there, we're in trouble. But also you got a kid who's got an NFL future and you don't want him going and getting hurt in a year where you know he's about to leave and go to the draft. So how do you balance that as a coach? And frankly, I'm glad I'm not the one making that decision. Really. Um, what I think is you're going to have to pick and choose your spots. And then we're going to see more of Sam in the run game uh, in order to balance out the offense when it looks like we're not going to be able to get our, our traditional running game going. I think that's exactly what you're going to start seeing. You're going to see more quarterback draws, or you're going, to see more, you're going to see more opportunities for Sam to choose between, you know, in the RPO game, it's going to be less handed off 
and more throw it or I'm going to run it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to have linemen down the field issues, you know, with that. So they're going to have to work out those kinks throughout the season. But I think Sam in the run game is going to be a wrinkle you're going to see moving forward. It's going to have to be because until we start getting our head up and until we start doing better on the offensive line, I mean, not even on double teams, which is my biggest gripe last year. It this year it's single blocks. It's just it's it, it's our base blocks that we're having real trouble with. We're not getting the type of movement we need. We're getting shed too quick by the defensive line. Um, again, we're getting our head buried. Our hips are coming up. We're getting up on our toes. We're just not moving, guys. We're in bad positions from a technique standpoint, and our run game is is suffering pretty drastically as a result. So until we can fix that, we're going to have to lean on Sam a little bit more in the run game. But, you know, you pointed it out. There's a balance there. We can't run him the whole game because we need him to have enough wind in him to throw the ball too. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, what we're going to become is instead of a nice balanced, you know, 50-50 offense, we're going to be a we're going to be using the pass to set up the run for the rest mm-hmm. of the season. I think that's the world we're in. And in order to make that work, we're going to have to see guys like Antoine Green and Josh Downs start taking the top off of the defense. Because if we don't have that, using the pass instead of the running going to work either. Because mm-hmm. then we're going to be in that position we talked about last week when we had against Virginia Tech, where we are a 25 by 53 yard box on offense. And it's, it's, it's very easy to defend mm-hmm. at that point. When you don't have to worry about a deep threat, it's very easy to defend. So we're going to have to have a guy that's going to start taking the top off the defense so we can sort of invert the offense philosophically and use the pass to set up the run as opposed to the vice versa. And Sam is going to be a critical component of that moving forward. He'll have to be against a Virginia and against some of these good defenses we're going to see, or we're, we're not going to have the type of success that we should be having. Yeah. If I'm Carolina, I'm getting UNC's baseball coach, Scott Forbes on the phone and huh. I'm bringing him over yeah. to practice and having him work with Sam Howell, at least a period of practice where all we're working on is sliding because there still <laughs> looks nothing natural about Sam Howell when he goes down for a slide. It's, it's almost like a, uh, a half, a half slide where you just hold your breath, hoping that he, he, he does get up and goes to the next play. Um, but, but he is a gamer. He, he's getting up ever after every hit he's, he's taking on a lot of defenders. And another point I think that I forgot to mention earlier with the, the lack of push Carolina's kind of getting along the offensive line. I think it was a point I made in the podcast last week where it's like the tight end position, you're almost starting to look for more athleticism for somebody in the passing game. I think you kind of saw that with Kamari Morales. Uh, kind of emerging last night where he catches the ball. He he can make plays after the catch. Bryson Nesbitt, I'm I'm a huge Bryson Nesbitt guy. I, I know it was in in kind of like cleanup duty, but hit, uh, the pass from Criswell to Nesbitt where he makes that juke and runs in. It's it's your story. That, that ain't that ain't easy to do against mm-hmm. a division against a division one defense. <laughs> no. I mean I don't I don't again that, that kid for Georgia State was the best player or one of the best players on his high school team. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that he did that too. Like that wasn't that's what folks need to understand. Like, yeah, it was garbage time, but that was still a scholarship to Division One player. That's hard to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, and, that, and he looked smooth doing it. When, yeah, he did. When when you see a guy like Bryson Nesbitt on the field or Kamari Morales, I think the thinking for Carolina it's like, how can we get these guys up to speed as fast as possible? Because if we can't run the ball, we we need to give Sam Howell as many options as possible. And while somebody like Garrett Walson might be the the sixth year super senior. And maybe he's a more well-rounded 
Uh, right now, this team needs as many options as possible in the passing game to kind of help out Sam. So I think and, and and give Garrett. So I don't have to cut you off, but give Garrett some credit too because he caught it. He caught a shot from yeah. Sam Howell right down the seam and got hit as he caught that ball. Yeah. That is the type of stuff I thought we were going to see from Garrett Walson against Virginia Tech. Something was off against yeah. Tech. I mean, I, he was catching a lot of grief online. I don't think it's deserved. Garrett Walson has never been. He he is not. Um, He's not Antonio Gates out there. He's not. He's not somebody. He's, he's not Rob Gronkowski. Like that's not who he's going to be. He's not mm-hmm. going to be catching twenty touchdowns a year and and coming out of games at 110, 120 receiving yards. That's not him. But he has always been a reliable clutch receiver when we needed yeah. him. A possession type tight end. The traditional like a Wesley Walls type of tight end for blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Okay? That type of old school tight end who is primary who is a blocker first and can catch you a first down and you know on third and five, third and six when you need it. And, and he showed last night that he still has that ability. So, yeah, Tech was a fluke. And if, if he could be a legitimate option of the pass game, your point about Nesbitt and Morales, we, we've, got, we've got good options at tight end so long as they're all working in tandem and they're working together and we're utilizing them properly. Yeah, Georgia State, obviously it's, it's not the talent level you'd like to see the production coming against, but – I think yesterday was more along the lines of what Carolina is hoping to get out of the tight end position between uh, Waltson, between uh, Nesbitt and between Morales to where I I think a lot of people think like Phil Longo has kind of just forgotten about the tight ends in the system. But like, if you talk to Phil Longo, he wants to get the tight ends involved and it's just going to help this Carolina team be even more balanced. EJ. Rara Dilworth. Power Eccles, we saw them kind of come in late. They had they had their moments. Rara Dilworth looks like no hyperbole, one of the fastest linebackers I think I've ever seen out yeah. there. Power Eccles has been another guy the staff has been really high on with the interception. We've seen um, a bit of hesitancy from Jay Bateman to take out Gemmel and Eugene Asante at times, but you know we saw Cedric Ray yesterday. We saw Rara Dilworth. We saw Power Eccles. What do you think it could do for this Carolina defense if you do have more options at the linebacker position to where you can rotate in, you know, Gray and Eccles and, and Dilworth to to kind of give either Asante uh, a rest or to kind of push for more playing time as the season goes on? That, that, that's a tough one because, I mean, honestly, what we've been seeing from Eugene Asante is not what we thought we were going to see. I don't quite think he's ready for that starting role. I mean, the athleticism and just him playing football, I mean, his want to, his speed, his athleticism, that's all there and above and beyond most linebackers we're probably going to see in the ACC. But where I think he struggles with his eye discipline, his play recognition, and some of his reaction time sometimes. And I honestly think that that, I don't think that he has – I haven't seen enough for me to say, okay, he's definitely going to be one of our inside linebackers continuing on during the season. I saw some splash plays from some of these younger guys last night, and with some of the speed that, that, that we have out there on that team, I do think that there's going to be some push for his spot. The only thing is, is that you don't want to be rotating in linebackers a whole lot. You need your inside linebackers to be in the flow of the game, to know what's happened, to be able to anticipate where these guys are going to be. If, if this is your first time being in the game and second and long, you can't anticipate, okay, do these guys like to run draw? Do they like to run screen? Or are they going to go try to hit a big play, a big uh, pop pass or something like that right here? So it's hard when you're not in the flow of the game. And I mean, even watching from the sidelines, not going to give you the view that you're going to be playing from. You're going to be seeing someone else's view. So, so 
I don't know if I would want to mix it up, but we do need more production out of our inside linebackers. And I really think that's what's hurting us in the running game. I mean, if I, I mean, you, you saw it a lot on some of those options. Our linebackers were just out of position and they were chasing from inside out instead of from outside in collapsing on these plays. And it just it, it just was really wasn't a good thing to see. And it doesn't make me feel well about when you have better quarterbacks out there running that option and with a lot better running backs. I mean, you think about down in Georgia Tech, I mean, our old teammate's nephew is down there. I mean, just tearing the place up. And that, and I, I trust him and believe he's getting some good quarterback coaching and he is an athlete. So, and you, I mean, you see the guy turning flips over everybody. So when we get to the, in the ACC play, that will not, that, that just won't cut it. So I do think it needs to be opened up and I think there needs to be, there needs to be some competition. I think we can't afford to have Gimmel out any plays. I mean, if we, we need to get in some water. We need to call a timeout. That that guy can – he can never not be on the field for us. And I just wish that we had that same feeling from those other linebackers. And, I mean, I, I think that's the, the level that we were most confident and most secure in last year seems to be a weakness of the team. Because outside of Jeremiah Gimmel, nobody else has proven. I mean, Kimon Rucker came in. He had some good splash plays for us last year. Uh, Eugene Asante had, had a great game for us in the um, Orange Bowl, but where is that gone? And I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of regression in this team, which isn't good, and it's not signs of a Mac Brown coach program. I mean, why are we still dealing with some of the same things that we did last year? On the offensive line, we have the same guys, but the technique seems to be faltered, or they're not getting on the twist for the defensive line. Our linebackers aren't reading their keys, or our defensive linemen aren't, aren't getting any knockback. It's, and, and we're still missing tackles. It's all the same thing from last year, if not worse, because this is the beginning of the season where – injuries or people not playing or people not being prepared for the game is not an excuse. So we, we, yeah, we, we need to open up the position. We need to open up competition. I think at every position on that field, except for maybe three or four in the starting defensive uh, rotation, but I, I, I would love to see more power equals more of a rah, rah deal worth. I mean, those are the two best linebacking names in the game. I mean, at least yeah. we'll win an award for that. Right. We got rah, rah and power out here. Like, I mean, who, who, who couldn't get behind that and support that? But <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, those 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 guys are, are, are really good players. And I mean, I've been excited about them since I knew that they were coming to Carolina. So it would be good to see them on the field a little earlier. But I wouldn't throw them on the field just to throw them on the field. Even after you've heard Coach Brown say our sophomores and our freshmen are probably the most talented on the team. Let's make sure that they're ready. So we don't see a situation where guys are going out there and getting shell-shocked, developing bad technique and just bad overall preparation for the games. Yeah, that playing time, like you mentioned, would definitely come at the expense of somebody like Eugene Asante because you're going to have to twist Jay Bateman's arm to take Jeremiah Gemmo off the field with how, with how crucial he is yeah. to the overall team success. And if, if you think Carolina sometimes struggles to line up defensively, if you take <laughs> Jeremiah Gemmel out, they have almost no chance. Mm-hmm. But ready or not, we're going to learn a lot about this Carolina team come next week against Virginia. Carolina back at home next Saturday, 7.30, under the lights against UVA on the ACC Network, trying to break, I can't even believe I have to say this, a four-game losing streak against the Wahoos. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. EJ, Mike, thanks for your time. See you guys next week. See you, man. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. 
This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.